Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Evan, I heard Brad joined you uh, on the golf course. So two questions, or you joined him actually. So two questions, was it? Was there a moment where you guys realized that was the first time you'd actually properly uh, hung out since March 2019? And two, how good and or bad was he, Evan? I just realized we, um, I realized we hadn't hung out um, right now. <laughs> and I guess um, that's a sign of a good friendship because I had the exact same thought. I'm like, oh no. yeah, that was. <laughs> it's the sign of the level of attentive attentiveness <laughs> that you both have. But carry on. Yes, what? How? However you want to quantify it or or deem it. Yes, we'll go with that. Um, in terms of game, um, you know what? With a little bit of refinement, we can make Brad a good golfer. No, that's he can hit news. the ball a mile. But he has absolutely no game inside 50 yards. Like, you may as well just write a three putt down because it's coming. If he's if he's 20 feet, if he's 15, if he's three, it's a three putt. It's coming. In um, my defense, that was exactly how I advertised myself as a golfer. That is true. You did not lie to me saying you were like, you know, a f- six handicap or something like that. Um. So, yeah, it was good. I can't golf. I can't even move my back. Thank you for strong painkillers because I can move today. But yesterday, I was I should have just laid in bed. That's on. It's such bad news for me because I'm I'm not kidding when I say I'm atrocious. I can crank the ball. One out of ten drives, that crank is going dead center. The other nine, it's going really far, but way to the right. And that's just it's terrible for me. I'm not the kind of person who can put away the driver until I know how to use it. Like, I know that's what I'm supposed to do, but I absolutely won't. Like, wait, we went to the driving range in 2019, actually, and I Mel was like, okay, how do I do this? And I was like, don't try to kill the ball. Like, you're not going to get what you want out of it that way. It's so tempting. Don't try to kill the ball. Focus on form. And then I drive, and I tried to kill the ball. She's like, but you're doing that. I was like, I, absolutely, but I can't be helped. I, I'm, I will never not try to murder this ball. And I, it, I don't know. I don't know if I can ever change well, what you can do is you can get a driving iron, and then you just look like you're an uh, an all time pro, and no one will ever question it. Okay, you've piqued my interest. Anyways, that that probably uh, fills our golf talk quota for the episode. Before I was, we- was going to say, you could just do what I did. It was a pretty short course. Evans busting out his hybrid on like every other tee, and I'm just like, how far is this par four? Evans like about two ninety five, and I'm just strolling up with the driver. Yeah, I don't care if we're going through trees. Didn't matter. <laughs> Speaking of golf, Bryson yesterday hit a f- a three wood, three hundred and eighty yards at- on the match two. Uh, it was like downhill downwind like ridiculous but he hit his it carried 344 yards and that's insane rolled i can't i can't process that that one 295 par four we played where i put it like on the lip of the front bunker in the green i was riding that high for about four holes (laughs) oh yeah all right we're past the quota guys because i'm the one who's gonna read the hate messages and then you won't care and then i get sad about it so (laughs) Uh, welcome to the wind wheel podcast believe it or not this is uh detroit red wings and hockey podcast uh the worst golfer of the group i'm ryan hannah 
Barely scraping by, I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Um, on this episode of the podcast, there is uh, a, a, a lot to talk about and a lot that we have talked about with an interview. We'll, we'll open up by talking about the um, tragic news uh, coming out of uh, Columbus with the passing of Matisse Kivlenix. Um, before jumping into uh, our interview with Scott Wheeler, um, where we talk our usual draft prospects life. The usual bits. Uh, And then some minor Red Wings news to get into after that. And then a prospect profile that will be of interest to those of you looking at um, maybe the less talked about potential six overall picks before uh, mentioning the playoffs. Game five is happening as we speak. So we'll see how that goes. And then overtime. But first, uh, as usual, I do want to talk to everyone uh, about the Jamie Daniels Foundation, uh, a group that we're very, very proud to partner with. Uh, The more we talk about substance use disorder, the faster we can end the stigma and get support to those in need. The Jamie Daniels Foundation is a children's foundation initiative that was established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer, Ken Daniels, and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels-Goldman. They strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. To learn more and provide support, uh, visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org. First and foremost here, we're going to um, address the the tragedy that came out of the Columbus Blue Jackets and Novi, Michigan. Um, Matisse Kivlenik's Columbus Blue Jackets goaltender uh, tragically passed away as a result of a fireworks-related accident. Um um, Kev Lennox passed at the, um, home of former Detroit Red Wings goaltender, Manny Legacy, who's, uh, who is part of the Columbus Blue Jackets, Columbus Blue Jackets coaching staff. And, uh, yeah, it, it goes without saying that there aren't really words to articulate how awful of a tragedy this is. So, uh, Kev Lennox will be remembered fondly. I mean, you know, he was just a guy with a ton of personality and who had a big future with the Blue Jackets. So, um, we offer our condolences to his family and his friends and the Blue Jackets organization and the whole hockey world, of course, um, does the same. The breaking news. Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic has reported, I haven't had time to read the article because it's got a why, but has reported that Vladimir Tarasenko has requested a trade out of St. Louis. Huh. You know, I... I've heard some conversation about Tarasenko, but never anything in earnest, right? So I wonder what's going on there. My my immediate thought is, is there a fit between Tarasenko and somehow Washington? Because they're going to be moving Kuznetsov in all likelihood. <sighs> no, but yes. Um, it makes sense in theory theory but i think when you come down to the dollars of it and i'm, I'm trying to look up um tarasenko's contract right now um kuznetsov is almost viewed as a negative asset right now with the dollars and term left on his contract combined with the stuff that's been going on around him because tarasenko's only got two years left so his current contract takes him to 31 which is not a bad thing um mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I so Tarasenko will still be viewed as a positive asset and for a team contending for a cup, like a very positive asset. So a team will give up a lot to get him. Whereas Kuznetsov, 
that strikes me as Washington might have to not give him away, but they won't get a significant return if they're able to move him at, they won't probably get a return at all if they move his contract at full pop. So yeah, but Tarasenko two years at seven and a half mil St. Louis is probably in a position where they can retain a little bit. They, they could get a pretty decent haul for Tarasenko despite his recent injury history. He'll be turning 30 this year at the end of the year. I mean, there's, you don't really have to say much to describe the amount of talent this guy has. Um, yeah, that'll be super interesting for whoever picks him up. If if St. Louis does choose to move him, he has a no trade uh, to some capacity, so he has some control over where he goes. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm really curious about how this one works out. And uh, salaries we asked high, a billion times. Let's just get it out of the way now. No, Detroit won't be interested. No, Detroit should not be interested. Great player, but two years left, approaching 30. No. Yeah. Nine and a half million dollars due in salary, though. So that's going to be tough for teams to swallow. It's going to be really tough for Tampa to fit that one under the cap. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's nine I and think a half Vegas this year. will have no problem, though. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, I mean, because Detroit's going to facilitate a trade out from Marc Andre Fleury. Yeah, it's nine and a half this year and five and a half next year. Anyways, fun when breaking news happens during the podcast. So, good heads up on that, Brad. Okay, uh, let's jump into our interview here uh, with Scott Wheeler. Um, Scott is a draft analyst, um, draft and prospect analyst with the Athletic. Does scouting. Um, and reporting on that and is also uh, writing a book, which we didn't really talk about in the interview, but we'll talk about in future episodes as well. It'll probably be, hit the shelves sometimes next year, sometime next year. But uh, it's always a good conversation with Scott. And we actually got some really, really great insights as to what we might expect in the draft. So without further ado, our interview with Scott Wheeler of The Athletic. Scott Wheeler, feels weird even doing intros for you anymore. I think... Uh, the last time we had you on was March, um, and since then, you've been really busy as you've kind of jumped really like into the deep end with um, with draft stuff and prospects. You're writing a book right now, but most importantly, you welcomed uh, a new little wheeler into your family, Beaumont. Tell us about him. Yeah, Beaumont is uh, is the best. He's actually two months today as we're recording this, so I was just kind of chatting to you guys about this before we hopped on, but like he's starting to smile, starting to react to you, starting to do all those sort of cute little kid things. The first month and a half, I would say that's really happened in the last two weeks. The first month and a half was really just blank stares and shitting himself. So uh, we've moved beyond that now and things are actually starting to to sort of get interesting. And he's been, he's been awesome. It's been a game changer. It's been a weird process because our house actually flooded uh, about four days before he was born. Oh. So we've been... And we're, this is 10 weeks later now, uh, basically, right? So we're, we've been uh, out of the house ever since, and it's still looking like it's going to be a month before all the repairs are done before we're back. So that wow. part of it has been a grind. But on the flip side, we've also had help from the in-laws and my what We're staying with my wife's family and having cooking and cleaning and that kind of stuff, and or just someone to pass the baby off when you need a break, right? So uh, that part of it's been really nice. Yeah, that, that's a nice little silver lining to it. Hopefully that gets resolved soon. I will yeah. say um, Brad and I are now a little bit concerned that we were ever supposed to grow out of the blank stairs and shitting yourself phase. So that's probably something we'll have to address afterwards. That was just, that was just a Friday night in college, honestly. <laughs> oh, man. 
So the draft is fast approaching. Um, before we get into the very specific questions, what's it look like for you this year? I, I think that's just, that was a question yeah. we asked last time, you know, scouting a COVID year, what's it looking like getting down to the wire for you? Are you getting back to a point where it feels a little bit more like 2019, like normalcy, or is it still wildly different? Um, it's getting back to that point. I had all of my travel for next year approved this week. So that was the kind of big reminder that, okay, we're, we're back here because last year I just didn't have that, right? Like I didn't even think to go to my editor and say, here's the calendar of all the events I'd like to attend this year. It was just, that was a non-starter, right? So I, I did the world juniors in Edmonton last year, but really never watched a single live hockey game other than that of, of these kids. I, I saw them at the, every game they played at the World Juniors, but the number of even in the draft process, the number of draft eligible kids that even play in the World Juniors is you can count on two hands, right? So I, I just didn't watch live hockey this year. And that was just the reality. And I think you had to come to grips with that over the course of the season. Uh, early on, the big fear was, okay, are all of these leads even going to get back running? And then as time passed, it was like, okay, all of them are, except for maybe the OHL. And then you start to get a lot more comfortable with where you're at on these kids. And I think now, just in talking to NHL scouts in the last few weeks for my own work as well, everybody's pretty comfortable with it. Like it, it, It's not some disastrous draft process where nobody has any idea who these kids are, which I think was kind of a legitimate worry early on in the year, right? So uh, all of the leagues eventually got up and running. They maybe didn't play 60, 70 games. They might have played 30 games. Uh, but there was still a pretty strong sample size for all of the kids who were expected to go in the first two or three rounds. And then definitely the process for the kids in the later rounds has been more difficult. Uh, the OHL kids, I mean, OHL kids that were vying to get to go play in those rounds, they didn't get to go over to Europe like all the first and second rounders did. So that is a huge bummer for them. Ty Boyd, Connor Lockhart, all sorts of kids. I could go down the list. They didn't play a single game of hockey this year. So how do you, as an NHL club, then make that selection? It's a pretty tough pill to swallow, uh, especially if there's a kid there who you also like, who you've seen play five times uh, or ten times. So that part of it is tough. And I had to do a lot more work on the phone this year, just making phone call after phone call after phone call and watching a ton of tape and just sitting at my desk for a, a much larger piece of time. But even the phone call part of it, I mean, it's, it's almost more efficient in a way. Like when I, if I, if I'm taking a trip to go to Boston college to watch Boston college play a couple of games on a weekend, I'm seeing two hockey games that weekend and I'm speaking to people in that rink that weekend. But if I'm sitting at home and dedicating an entire weekend to pouring over tape for these kids and making phone calls, I'm actually probably getting a lot more done um, by not being on an airplane and not standing around in a rink. And yeah, so that part of it, I don't know. It's, it's a bit of a mixed bag. I've always been pretty comfortable with video. I would imagine if you're sort of one of those old hat scouts, that's, been doing this for a long, long time and doesn't feel comfortable with video and you like to be a rink rat, then this was a pretty startling year for you probably. Um, but I, I think for a lot of the younger scouts I've talked to, and, and by and large, the majority of people within NHL organizations, I think people are pretty comfortable with where they're at on this draft. And I don't think it's going to be some wild, wild west draft like a lot of people think it's going to be. Things are going to play out kind of how you expect them to play out. Um, and teams are, I would say, maybe not as comfortable with this draft as previous drafts, but pretty close. So all that being said, I'm going to transition this into your rankings because I've noticed a predominant theme with most rankings that have come out, and that's 
the guys who played the most, the guys who have the most translatable skills, size, skating, etc., seem to be at the top of most lists. Your Matthew Beneers, Owen Powers of the world. With your list, you seem to swing on the upside despite the uncertainty. Obviously, having Ken Johnson at two, Brant Clark at three, even going down the list, a guy like Logan Stankman at 18. Mm-hmm. How comfortable were you with ranking the guys with arguably the higher ceilings, but the big more risk attached to them in a draft like this? Yeah, it's tough. I almost feel like this is the year where you should take that swing, though, because if you're able to do a good job of projecting what those kids would have looked like in a, a regular league, per se, uh, then then you're fi- you're tapping into something that not every team's tapping into, right? Like, the, there are teams that are going to look at Brant Clark playing in Slovakia and think that's a terrible league, and rightfully so, because it is a terrible league, and they're going to have trouble reconciling taking him because of how difficult it was to evaluate him in that league. But I I think the teams that look at how he performed in that league have tracked his progress and the progress that he's made in his skating and in other ways, especially his sort of athleticism and in the gym and that kind of a thing. Players like that, I, I think are worthwhile targets in this draft because if you play it safe, you may end up playing it safe with a kid who ends up as a third third pairing guy or a, a third line center, and you just didn't have the gumption to go after the, the sort of high skill target. And that's in part just because a lot of those high skill kids, I mean, Kent Johnson obviously played a, a regular schedule, but a lot of those other kids didn't, right? Like Logan hardly played this season. He got into about 10 games in the WHL. Um, Brant played a good chunk of games, but obviously in a difficult league. Uh, so you, you go, you start to go down the list and it, it, it does get hard to, to pull that trigger harder than maybe it is in years past, especially if there's so-called concerns of size or, uh, projectability with some of those kids. But this is a draft that's so thin on that kind of talent that I almost think that those kids are a premium. And those are the kids that teams should be going after. Like if, if you're say the Ottawa senators, a team that is loaded with middle of the road prospects and a lot of kids who are going to be those sort of second, third line players for you, the Shane Pintos of the world, the Josh Norris's of the world, the Drake Bathersons, you, you should be looking for that next cut above, right? That, that, that diamond in the rough, you can take a chance, even the Red Wings with the pool that they've, with the pool that they've constructed. What's the one thing that it's still missing as good as Lucas Raymond and Moritz Sider are, it's still missing that, that cut above star. So that's where I think players like Kent will enter the conversation for some teams when maybe there's a little bit more risk involved with their projection. Uh, and, and I think the payoff could be could be real there for, in particular, for a Kent Johnson or a Brant Clark, two kids who definitely have some flaws. Uh, Brant's got some problems with athleticism and skating for sure. His knees knock. All of those things are true about his game. And Kent's skinny, right? Like he's that Elias Pedersen kind of rakish kind of player who who just doesn't look like a, a big, strong NHL player at this point in his career. So I, I think the teams that take a risk on those two kids in particular could pay dividends because I think some of the other players that are expected to go in that range, whether it's a Mason McTavish, who I still think is going to be a fabulous player, or uh, even someone like a Matt Beniers, as good as they are, their ceiling is probably a cup below those others. 
So you you started to touch on this, and so let's focus in on specifically the Red Wings pick at sixth overall. And your mock draft on The Athletic, which everyone should go read, uh, as well as Scott's rankings, which we're discussing here, uh, you have the Red Wings taking Eklund, but you also acknowledge that McTavish and Johnson are, are potential picks there. So mixing in what you know, I mean, if you can ever suss out any information from what the Red Wings are thinking, uh, but what you know of, of, of scout chatter for the first six teams and your read on the Red Wings, talk us through the projection for Eklund to go six overall and how uh, McTavish and Johnson fit into that equation. Well, you're bang on in terms of the Red Wings being a tough read. That's not just true of Stevie. It's true of their scouts. They're, they're pretty tight-lipped as a group. The good news is that some of the teams in front of them aren't nearly as tight-lipped. So you can kind of <laughs> start to do some math and ask around and and sort of poke holes in terms of who's going to go in front of them. I think at this point, I fully expect Owen Power, Matt Beniers, and Dylan Gunther to be gone in those sort of picks in front of them. And then after that, it does get interesting. I, I suspect that Columbus is going to really like Simon Edvinson and Brant Clark. Um, they are going to take a defenseman in that spot. I'm almost certain. And they're going to look at those two because the blue jackets are obsessed with quirky little players and and those kids fit the bill. So uh, I, I suspect that's the way that, that those picks go. And then the red wings get really interesting after that. And I think Eklund makes a lot of sense. The obvious knee jerk reaction is that you have to take a kid who's a surefire center. And Eklund is not that Eklund played center growing up, but didn't play center this year, played wing, this entire year, he would have played center. He would have been the second line center uh, at the world juniors. That was their plan for him before he missed the tournament with Sweden. Um, But he, he ultimately has not played center in over a year. So the the concern there is, okay, you take another talented winger when you've already got plenty of them uh, in Detroit. So, I don't subscribe to that necessarily. I think a, there's still a chance that he's going to play center. And I think B the, 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 the other centers, if you will, that are available in that range, there's no guarantee any of those kids stick. I I think other than Matt Beniers, who will be gone, you could see every single one of the top forwards in this draft play the wing. You could see Chaz Lucius. Absolutely. He's been a center his whole life, but I think he's more than likely to play the wing uh, because of his skating issues. I think William, because of his size and the fact that he's already playing the wing at the pro level, could well stick there. Kent played center growing up, but obviously played the wing this year uh, at the program and or at uh, Michigan, which might as well have been the program. And then uh, after that, you've got Mason McTavish. And I think the, the instinct is, okay, take Mason McTavish. He's the kid that's most likely to play center. But in talking to Mason, I did a big story on Mason. In talking to him and all the people who've worked with him over the last few years, a lot of them think he's going to be a winger and think that he's better as a winger because of his ability to play physical, to get in on the forecheck, to be a goal scorer. Uh, you don't necessarily want the puck on his stick through the middle of the ice, which is typical of centers in, in today's NHL. So I think he could be a kind of a push and pop winger at the next level. Uh, so if it's a, if if that's the if that's the case, then it's a decision about the best winger, and I think. Detroit could really be drawn to William in that way, just not only as as arguably the most talented player in that group, I would probably take Kent instead of him, but it's close. Uh, but no, it's not only that, it's it's the roundedness of his game, his work ethic, the character, things that we know that, that Stevie and his group also care about. So um, I really do think they, they will have a strong appeal with Eklund and he could be the guy. So sticking in the first round, because 
we've hyper fixated on the sixth overall pick a lot, but where I think it gets really interesting for Detroit is the second first round pick because of how wide open this first round is. So top 10, top 11, top 12 is going to likely go as we think it is. Do you think the Red Wings should focus at all positionally with that second pick? So let's say they take a William Eklund at six and then the four best players on their board at pick 23 are all wingers. Do you think it's worthwhile still just swinging for the fences there? Or do you think they, this is the draft to maybe get a little cute with it and, and pick out the best D or the best center who's sitting there? I think I'd be more inclined in that spot to pick out the best center who's sitting there because I think the D that are going to be available there will not be worthwhile picks in that range. You're going to see the big four D go in the top 10, right? And then after that, you're going to see Corson Kuhlmans and Carson Lambos, who are really the only other two players who I think are worthwhile sort of top 25 picks on the back end, you're going to see them likely go in the teens. I think there's a chance that Lambos sticks around. Coolman's will not stick around. Uh, I think there's a chance Lambos does, but just because he's a D and he's a big name D, uh, even if he didn't have a great year, I think there's a team that's likely going to take that plunge. And the result is just going to be a lot of really good wingers and centers who are available. Better wingers than centers. There, there are still really a lot of those kids that are quote unquote centers in that 20 range. Zachary Bolduke, Xavier Borgo, they're not really centers. Francesco Pinelli. Pinelli played the wing this year and the wing in his first year in Kitchener, despite playing minor hockey, center in minor hockey. Xavier Burgo took almost no faceoffs in Schwinnigan this year. Zachary Bolduke was half wing, half center this year after being a winger last year. So these kids who have center next to their name, when you read their bios, a lot of them just may not be that long term. So I, I think the one center who could be available, it's probably a bit of a long shot, uh, but you, you guys would have noticed I had them taking him in, in the in my mock draft, is Fyodor Shvechkov. Uh, I think if he's available, that's a player that Detroit would froth at the mouth over, right? Like he's a natural center. He's going to play there long term, and he kind of fits the bill in terms of that two-way package that they tend to like. So um he would be a kid that I would keep an eye on, but if not, it's probably a winger there. And I don't think you have to be upset about that because if they go D, they may be taking a kid who really isn't, isn't sort of deserving of that kind of a range. And then that's a bigger problem. Even if you feel like you need a D, I think that becomes a bigger problem than just taking another winger. So if we get past Matt Beniers in the first round, because I've, I've seen this become a more prevalent talking point over the years. And obviously this draft seems to be the, apex of it where yeah they're centers but they're they're probably going to the wing realistically in the first round of this draft how many kids do you think are actually going to stick at center in the nhl because from everything i've been reading and what you're saying it it sounds like beniers and svechkov might be the only good bets for it yeah that wouldn't surprise me i think mctavish could um i think cole sillinger could Cole's a natural center for sure. He played wing in Medicine Hat last year, but actually played center in the USHL this year. Uh, And part of the reason he played wing in Medicine Hat was because they wanted him on a line with two overagers who were also centers. So they ended up with three centers on that line, and it just meant that he wasn't taking faceoffs. Um, but I think, I think Sillinger could, again, another kid who's going to be gone by the time the Red Wings are up for their second choice and isn't really a worthwhile pick with their first choice though. So yeah, it's, it's a really small group of, of sort of natural centers that will, that will project there. Um, I know Pinelli, 
Pinelli wants to play center long term. I've talked to him about that. That's where he sees himself, but I'm not sure he has the skating to do that. So it's it's a it's a mixed bag for sure. And I I think you're right. You could only see sort of two or three kids taken in the first round who end up playing center. So Brad mentioned that we hyperfixate on the um, six overall pick, which is absolutely true. So I'm going to pull us back to the six overall pick here. <laughs> you mentioned the, uh, yeah, I mean, the way you mocked it up, there would be four defensemen left for Detroit. You're certain or you're pretty sure that Detroit's going to avoid those defensemen. And it, the follow-up, I guess, to build into that is, is it because of the players or is it because of who else they could take at the other positions? I th- I think it's because of where they're at. Uh, they don't strike me as a team that's too hung up on uh, sort of drafting for need, if you will. But I still think with Cider coming, with what they ha- potentially have in players like, I mean, they're they're more depth pieces. These guys are a long way from Cider. But even if one of Tuomisto, Wallander, McIsaac, if one of those guys figures it out, that will help you long term too. So there, there are pieces there on defense. And when I look at their team and think, okay, to contend, what do they need, right? Even if Lucas Raymond hits his ceiling, they still are going to need another star forward, right? Like Lucas isn't going to drag a team. And this is an opportunity to get that and more of an opportunity to get that than the star defenseman, which I think you're already going to have in Mo. So it's, it's, I, I wouldn't say it's, I, I wouldn't call it a guarantee that I think they're going to take a forward, but I would be I would be a little surprised if they took a D there. And for the sake of tradition, at this point, a little bit of my soul leaves my body every time I ask this. Where do you see Wallstedt in terms of a possibility <laughs> of going sixth? I, it's not out of the question. I, I think ch- taking Wallstedt over sort of a, a Luke Hughes or whoever else there fills a bigger need as well. Uh, for them without being a, a sort of huge gigantic reach right like he's I don't have him in my top 10 but I have kind of had him anywhere between 9 and 11 all year and I think that's the kind of range that I would feel comfortable picking him in but I don't think he would be some giant failure as a six overall pick especially for a team like the Red Wings who certainly have a number of okay goalie prospects like decent goalie prospects but don't I mean Guylander and Petruzzo, like they're they're good, but you're hoping on a prayer, right? Like you're hanging on by a thread if that's what you're banking on long term. So um, that's where things do get, I think, a little quirky for them. But I still think, I don't know, I think you could move back there because I think there are going to be teams who are really excited to move up and draft one of the forwards or one of the defensemen in that kind of a slot. And there aren't any teams in front of them that I think are at a risk and and really the couple of teams behind them, I don't think they're going to take the goalie. Uh, so I, I do think you could potentially slide back to eight, nine, 10 and still take him. Um, but I don't know whether I, I, I don't, I don't want to hypothesize about different trade scenarios and that kind of thing. That's just a rabbit hole. That's never worth going down because those trades almost never happen. So um, I don't know. It, it I still think a forward's more likely, but I, w- I wouldn't be, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Detroit was the team to, to go that route. All right. So let's um, put a little odds on a scenario here. What's more likely Detroit reaches for Wallstead at six or Cosa falls to them at 23. Uh, oh, <laughs> probably Wallstead. I think there's a chance Costa's Costa's available. 
in the in the twenties. But again, I I mean, when I mocked it up, I was immediately drawn to say the Dallas Stars, whose starting goalie is thirty five years old, and as good as Jake Ottinger is, he's not the solution, right? Like there are teams in the teens who could take that punch. I think Edmonton at nineteen could go there. Um, so there's, there are a few teams before then that I think would be more likely to take Kosa. And I think by and large now he's a kind of a consensus top 20 pick. So I, I, I would doubt it. All right. So we're going to dive in. I want to dive into the second round a little bit here, just because every draft analyst has their guy. The, the one guy who's ranked out of everybody's top 100 or, you know, just inside that, you don't see what everybody else is seeing. So if you had that quote unquote guy that you would hope if you were the GM of the Detroit Red Wings, you'd be like, screw it. I'm taking him in the second round. I'm not even risking him falling down. Who would that be this year? Ooh, that is a heck of a question. There are a few kids who I kind of have ranked in my sort of late teens to early twenties that I really like, who I think are going to be available at the start of the of the second round. When I did my mock, I had Logan Stankoven slipping through. Um, I would absolutely love it. If I'm a team at the start of the second round and Logan's available, I wouldn't even think twice. Like I would have it stamped and locked in fast. So Logan's a player who I really like in that kind of a range. I think there's a chance Xavier Borgo slips a little bit kind of into the late twenties. And I would really like him there. Um, he was never a top prospect or a big name growing up. And because he's played three years in the QMJHL, I'm not sure whether to think that that's an advantage because teams are going to go with the safer pick this year and, and draft a kid who they've seen a lot, like a Danil Chaika or a, uh, a Xavier Borgo who've played three years in junior, or whether teams are going to look at that and be scared away by the fact that he hasn't taken some gigantic leap forward to become an absolute force. So that's a kid who I really, really like in that range. Um, I, I love Isaac Rosen. And as much as we see him high on, on people like Bob McKenzie's list and, and even on NHL Central Scoutings, which normally are a pretty good gauge for where they're going to go in the draft, he still feels like a kid who's going to slip through the cracks somehow because teams are going to be afraid to draft the skinny, highly skilled five foot nine, five foot ten kid who plays the wing. Um, so th- those are a few names that come to mind as kids that I really like. But the big one, the one that I would take a swing on uh, and wouldn't even hesitate, I, there are two, I guess. The, the first is Sasha Pastorjov, who I still talk to people and they still think his skating's a problem in the first round. And I still can't wrap my head around that. He has been outstanding. There, there, his profile in terms of his production, his underlying numbers, being the best player in his age group on the national development team, putting up numbers that are in line with kids who've routinely gone in the top 10, the Clayton Kellers, the Alex Turcotts, the Cole Caulfields. Um, He is a very talented player. And average skating, I don't think, is the be-all and end-all for players that are that talented. So Pastorjov's a kid who I ranked, I believe, 14th and could be available late in the first, sort of into the second round, who I wouldn't hesitate on. And then the second kid is Ayrton Martino, who actually played locally in the junior A ranks for the last two years previous to this one, and then went to the USHL this year and was one of the five best players in the league as a first-year player and as a tinier kid who's not committed to a big college. He's headed off to Clarkson. So 
Uh, all of that is kind of a recipe for teams to be a little bit shy of him. Uh, but he is so much fun to watch. One of the more entertaining players that I enjoyed watching sort of game to game, shift to shift this year. And I think he's going to be dynamite at Clarkson. I almost think it's a good thing that he's going there because he's going to be the go-to option for that team offensively, probably as a freshman even. Um, so it, there's a lot to like about, in particular, I would say Pastajov and Martino as that kind of second or third round pick where I'm just going after them. All right, Scott, I think our next appointment together will be post-draft for our usual recap of whatever the Red Wings do. So fingers crossed for all three of us that it's interesting. Uh, I hope the lead up to the draft goes well for you, both literally at home uh, with the flooding and also, you know, prepping for the draft. So uh, thank you again for coming on the show to talk to us all things prospects. Uh, and until next time. Oh, actually, uh, we'll have to send you over a onesie for a winged wheel podcast onesie for Beaumont as well. Do those even exist is the question. Absolutely. Yeah, we send them. <laughs> we especially like to send them to people. Um, uh, we sent one to Dangle to indoctrinate him young to make okay. sure that uh, Leo's favorite podcast was us before the Steve Dangle podcast. But no, f- you know, I you're a friend of the podcast. Us. Yeah, but you, you've done us a lot of favors. So the least we could do is uh, is reward Beaumont for that. Cool. I mean, I would take it gladly. So <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks a lot, Scott. Until next time. Yep. Thanks, guys. And we're back. That was our conversation with Scott Wheeler. Uh, we'll be, of course, chatting with him again, probably after the draft at this point. It's weird to think that we're we're already at, you know, after the draft. That's what we're planning for. I guess maybe not already. It feels like a million years, but just all concept of time has has come and gone, and I have no grasp as to where we are. Like, if you ask me when the draft is, I'd say it's still weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks away but in reality we're what a couple weeks now just over two weeks so three weeks something like that you tell me ryan that i just put it in my calendar you tell me when and uh i prepare accordingly when evan says you tell me he literally means you tell me because unless you tell him multiple times it is gone he it is that is not registering with him yes yeah Yeah, it's totally it and i have I have really bad, like I have a guilt complex. So when I do something to inconvenience my friends, I feel terrible about it. And this bastard makes me repeat things to him a million times to the point where I feel like I'm being annoying. But if I don't do it, it's just not going to click with him. And so I sit there just feeling like I'm a shit friend. And Evan's just, what's the phrase, Brad, that uh, Scott used? Staring into the void and shitting yourself? (laughs) Something like that, yeah. (laughs) It really depends on the time of day and if I've had my coffee yet. Then it happens. We record at night. <laughs> I'd hope you'd had your coffee by then. It's not my fault. I have a million things going on this month that I am all responsible for. You know, a few things fall through the cracks. And the it's other one you bought months. a house. Yeah, I shouldn't <laughs> have bought a house. It's all Catherine's sister's fault for getting married too. It's also Whistlebear's fault that they have to host like three events this month. Like it's just it's an absolute gong show. Life's hard being you, buddy. We know. It's it is terrible. tough. Um, some speaking of breaking news that happened during the podcast, actually uh, a little bit more. Uh, Tarasenko's group um, is expected to offer probably up to a ten-team list. Rutherford confirmed uh, that um, Armstrong has been trying to shop Tarasenko for a little while now. Um, 
and it seems to be difficult. So we'll see where that goes. But uh, other news that popped up uh, just earlier today, uh, Cross Hannis, uh, Red Wings draft pick from last season, um, is going to be the player selected to replace Matty Beniers uh, at the Team USA World Junior Summer Showcase. So uh, Chris Peters broke that um, just earlier today. So uh, a little bit of interest there for Red Wings fans. Okay. Uh, let's do a prospect profile on someone who probably isn't talked about enough in terms of viability at six overall. And that's probably because he's almost pinned to one team right now that's drafting before Detroit. Uh, Luke Hughes is a left-handed defenseman out of the USNTDP. He's a guy that I think a lot of Red Wings fans want to be interested in, but the New Jersey Devils almost have a complete line on him. So uh, I think it, it's still worth talking about because Anything can happen in the draft, and you never know what might might what might go down. Um, Luke Hughes, Brad, take us away. Well, if the Devils don't take Luke Hughes, um, the Red Wings should get on the phone with the Devils right away um, because that incoming Jack Hughes trade request would be uh, worthwhile for Detroit to explore. But yeah, Luke Hughes, so obviously name recognition, but not his brothers in really almost any way he's bigger than both of them which is a plus but he's not nearly as dynamic as either of them so uh where he is similar is he is an exceptional skater just like quinn just like jack not in the same sense per se but just an exceptional uh four-way skater um good transition player has his defensive warts but for the most part pretty good defensively capable offensively but you'd like to see him assert himself more some question marks around decision making he he's the upside pick that you make to hope because there's some untapped potential there and there could very well be he has the tools to do just about anything he wants on the ice he just doesn't do them um the main criticism I've seen of him and I've read of him uh, from other opinions is he doesn't assert himself enough offensively. Um, and it's hard to tell if that's instinct or that he's just consciously making an effort to play less aggressive because if he asserts himself more and he's able to do that, it's a whole new ball game. He's, he should be a surefire, no doubt top five pick at that point, but it's hard to get a read on because my ultimate opinion of him is you you love everything about him watching him play, but almost every time you watch him, he, he leaves you wanting in some capacity. Luke Hughes makes me feel stupider for getting Quinn Hughes wrong. Because I am I'm pretty not high on Luke Hughes, but I feel really good about Luke Hughes. Like if he does fall to Detroit and Detroit takes him, I'm pretty happy about that. Phenomenal skater, especially for his size. The way he plays the transition game is exactly what you want out of a defenseman that you're probably drafting to play on your top pairing with most Sider eventually. Um, the way his edge work moves, like you, you see the way Quinn moves with his edge work and you're like, okay, Luke can do the, the, do the same thing standing above six feet. That's even better, right? Like that's something that you absolutely love to see. So these are all huge, huge, extremely positive check marks. Um, 
I have a similar thought to him as I did about Quinn, which is how are you going to defend? Quinn was more size-based and positionally was a little bit lost at the time. And I thought with Quinn Hughes, I was like, if you're not going to be big enough to defend, you need to at least know where to be. And he just didn't have either of those things at the time. Um, and I'm not saying Quinn Hughes is a you know phenomenal defender right now, but uh, still with Luke, uh, there are those defensive warts that you mentioned, Brad, uh, but I'm willing to see past those quite honestly. But like you said, the offensive aspect to his game is just not where his brothers is at. And that's not to say he has to be Quinn Hughes to be worth drafting. No, because if you were Quinn Hughes, if there's a Quinn Hughes in this draft, and you know, he's going to be Quinn Hughes. He goes first overall <laughs> without a doubt. Um, but the offensive vision, the playmaking ability, the ability to translate that transition game and phenomenal edge work, like you get the puck on the blue line, you're able to kind of pivot and move wherever you want with it. The next step is to then be able to either fire the puck in the net at will or more likely if you're a power play quarterback, dish it out wherever needed. And not to say he's you know deficient in that. I think he's good, but not elite level, not top end level offensive talent. So that's where my holdup is with Luke Hughes where he's not my top defenseman and probably not in my top three picks for the Red Wings in this draft. And again, all that translates into I cannot – I just wish I was right about Quinn. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but looking at all that, you add great offensive ability to this or the, the, the playmaking ability and Luke Hughes rockets up the list. I think it's worth also pointing out he's like five days away from being eligible for next year's draft. So he's ridiculously young and to be even in the top 10 mentioned in the top 10 is, is quite uh, amazing. But I think you guys nailed it. Like he's big. He's a great skater. He's got actually has really good hands as well. Um, but there are some decision making questions. And I think as he, you know, over the next year or two, he'll, he'll start to iron those out as he gets a little bit older and a little bit more confident. Um, he's got not a great sh- uh, shot. Uh, shooting percentage of getting pucks to the net so um i figure that'll work out work itself out as well um but yeah like you guys said he's not my favorite defenseman in the top 10 um but i mean we've been wrong on quinn hughes before uh or on a hughes before i I, it's another one of those guys i wouldn't be upset if they took him but there are a couple other guys i'm a little bit more excited about uh over him and it's going to be a few years uh i think before he makes it into the nhl because he is so young luke hughes along with simon edmondson scare the shit out of me in this draft because they're the two guys that if they don't if you pick them and they don't refine the warts in their game they're bottom pairing defensemen at best. Um, But they're also the players, if you pass on them and they do wrinkle, iron out the wrinkles in their game, they're no doubt top three picks just because of the skill set they possess. So they could really screw you either way. And we don't know which way it's going to go because most players in the draft, I have a good read on whether or not I rank them properly is always up for debate, but like I've got a good sense for who this player is, what skills will translate, et cetera. Like to what degree is always an argument. I really don't have a good read on Luke Hughes, much like Edvinson. I, I really truly don't know what to expect because 
you know, if I if I look at a guy, you know, we've talked about at length, William Eklund, if he makes it, it's going to be as a, a high offense scoring winger. And, and I can pencil him into that role. And if he's not that, he's probably not an NHLer. Luke Hughes could be a number one defenseman or a number six. And neither one surprises me. He could be a power play quarterback. He could never play special teams. Also would not, does not fully surprise me if either of those realities plays out. I don't, I know what Luke Hughes's skill set is, but I don't know what type he is. I know what his flaws are, but I don't know what's causing the flaws. Like again, for the offensive instinct, if that's just a natural instinct he lacks, that's a problem. If it's a conscious effort he's making to play more conservative, that's easily fixed. So I, I really don't have a good read on him. And really it comes down, like if you're picking in that range, the five to eight range and you, you're high on Luke Hughes. To me, that basically means you like him better than Brant Clark and Carson Lambos. And I don't think I do. I think I like both their upsides and their game a little bit more, even given that Luke Hughes is slightly younger. And I, I think their upside is probably better in all three zones. Yeah, Lambos is Lambos will be an option for Detroit uh, probably at 23 at this point. But if you're talking about, you know, total upside, I can totally see what you're saying. The only point I'm, I'm going to disagree with is I don't think Luke Hughes is true boomer bust, but I just... You know, if the Red Wings take a left-handed defenseman whose offensive instincts probably lean more towards this is a second-pairing guy in all likelihood, in all good likelihoods, who can probably just play up on the power play, then that's a good thing, sure. But I would then rather swing at Kent Johnson or William Eklund or one of the forwards or honestly even Wallstedt. Like, I don't. There's not a lot of of super high end ceilings here, but I I would want to go for the higher end ceilings rather than someone who I I there's just that many gray areas or, or shadowy parts to his game. I have a question, or yeah, this is probably for Brad. Um, can you think of a defenseman in the NHL who's a great skater but doesn't really put up points? but you would like think is a, a good defenseman in the NHL because if Luke Hughes's offense doesn't ever come out, that's essentially what he is. Oh man. There's probably a few guys that fit that bill. Um, but doesn't all the guys that immediately come to mind that fit Luke Hughes's mold put up points. So that's probably an argument yeah. in his favor. Uh, I'm trying to think Slavin. The thing is, I don't think Luke Hughes is completely devoid of offense. I think I think he's still no, really he's, good. He's not. That's this is what pisses me off about Hughes is I can't pin down what type of defenseman he is. Like we know Brant Clark's an offensive defenseman who's probably going to play a mediocre role at five on five, but could be your number one power play quarterback. We know Edvinson is. Uh, at least we we know he's a bigger defenseman who's good defensively and has power play upslide. We know what Owen Power is, what type of defenseman he is. Luke Hughes has deficiencies at both ends of the ice. If he fixes both of those with his toolkit, 
he's a fir- a no doubt first pairing defenseman. If he fixes the offense but not the defense, then he's an offensive defenseman. But if he fixes it, it could go inverse for him as well because the tools are there. I'm not saying he's bad. He is he is an exceptional talent, and every question I have about him is between his ears. Literally every one. I don't have any concerns whatsoever with his physical skill set. So even if his shot isn't elite, it's neither is Quinn's. Uh, the shot's the easiest skill to fix by far. Everybody oh, my, begin. My entire career begs to differ, but carry on. <laughs> With a proper coach, a shot is the easiest skill to fix. Um, or at least improve. I shouldn't say fix, but yeah, it's just, I, I can't, I can't get a good read on him. He could play, he could end up playing a Jacob Slavin role. He could end up playing something like a Quinn Hughes role, just not as good, obviously. I just, I don't know. I don't know. It's yeah. very rarely do I sit here and say this with a prospect. Like, I don't know who they are as a player, but with Luke Hughes, I don't know who he is as a player yet. And it could go a million ways. Yeah, I, I think the deficiencies, the true deficiencies for talking about that objectively are in the defensive zone. I think he's very good, obviously excellent, phenomenal, elite in transition. His skating is fantastic. Uh, really good skill set, like Evan said. The offensive, I like. I wouldn't even call his offensive game as a deficiency. I think he'd be on Detroit's top power play. It's just, is it enough we've pr- to... We've promised to stop using the Red Wings as a scale. <laughs> is it is it enough to justify that pick over other players? So just to really clarify before anyone gets, you know, too upset by it, by, because maybe I, I didn't phrase it properly. It's not that his offensive game is bad. It's just, is it good enough to justify the pick over other players? So that's Luke exactly. Hughes. That's Luke Hughes for now. Um, and again, I, I really do think it'll be New Jersey here who's going to end up taking him. So. Maybe they just uh, bite the bullet or or grab it before Detroit even has an opportunity. So it's nothing we can even sweat over. My dream draft scenario is Hughes and Edmondson are gone before six. So it's, <laughs> it's not even a question just because a good part of my brain is going to want to pick them both because I know what the upside is, but they will also be the most nervous I would be with any player the Red Wings could pick, even more so than Wallstead. So, you know. Let's just let's just take the question out of Iserman's hands, please. Please, Columbus, New Jersey, uh, Anaheim, please. <laughs> um, as we record, the second period has ended in Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Tampa Bay is leading 1-0. So by the time we finish, or by the time you're listening to this episode, the Stanley Cup may have been awarded, or who knows, we might be going to Game 6. Uh, no doubt that we're going to recap that once, probably next episode, it'll be wrapped. Yeah. Um, a very quick note, though. We said this last year. I think it still holds true this year. And this does not take anything away from Julian Brisebois. It does not take anything away from all of the people who factor into the Tampa Bay Lightning administration. It feels good knowing that the long process to build this cup contending team that is likely to repeat at this point, at the time of recording, they may have repeated by the time you're listening. The major architect driver behind all that, the original GM of the team is now in Detroit. It's 
something that I don't think Red Wings fans, I don't think Red Wings fans take it for granted. I think everyone, most people are very elated by that. Uh, but the, the amount of promise that that holds is really hard in hockey because things move so slowly. Change comes so slowly. It's like politics. It's like bureaucracy. It just happens at such a snail's pace that sometimes you don't even notice it's happened. So it, you just think of how long Eisman had with that team to build it up. Is it a perfect analog? No, he he came in with different tools and core pieces and superstars that the Red Wings don't have. So it's not going to be a perfect one-to-one match, but this is someone, it just, it's a long way of saying this is someone who can do it and can do it in a very real way because it's not a one-off, this team. Um, so all the Red Wings need to do is, or all fans really need to do is have patience as Eisenman does this, does this thing. And, and you know, the people who Eisenman has surrounded himself with and also find a way to cheat the cat by $18 million in the playoffs. Okay. Let's jump into overtime. <laughs> that one was for you, Brad. I don't actually mean that because I don't care that much, but um, I thought I'd be nice to you today. Uh, overtime on this midweek episode of the wind wheel podcast is Patreon exclusive. Thank you to our patrons for being just genuinely better people than we could ever hope to be strong jawlines, tall, great hair, um, good people, never, uh, make a mistake on your taxes, all the, all that good stuff. Um, Evan actually talks to you, which is a pretty notable accomplishment. One time Evan sent me a text message and I was super excited, but it was an accident in the end. Oops. Wrong Ryan. <laughs> do you know a two Ryans? I do. I actually know three Ryans. Okay. So well, it gets very confusing in this household. Oh, okay. Well, you're, you're podcast right Ryan. I'm podcast Ryan. That well, would you prefer to be named redhead Ryan? No, God, no. Sorry. Yeah, I shouldn't complain. Is there a redhead, Ryan? What a yes. dweeb. Oh, what's the third one? He's just Ryan. I'm oh, sorry. what the fuck? <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> what a, it better be. Is, this, is he someone's brother? Well, he's is he, somebody's brother. Oh, I guess. What yeah, that's also mean. No, is he like Cat's brother or something? Why? Is oh he no, to be it's Ryan? like one of my well, like long time, long life friends. Yeah, well, lifelong friends. Okay, well, I'll only cry a little bit more than I usually do after the podcast. Okay, okay we're gonna start with overtime here with uh, patron Matt S, who says Montreal lives to fight another day. One down, three to go. It's nearly impossible, but their run has been magical to this point, and I wouldn't be shocked if they made it a series. Super sad to hear about Kivlenix. It happened a few miles from where I live in Michigan. Life is precious and makes you cherish each day. Keep up the good work as always, Dub Dubs. We're spoiled by you three. Yes, even you, Brad. Uh, Josh Brink says, say you are locked in a room for the rest of your life and your captor has given you the choice of three hockey games to watch for the rest of eternity. What three would you choose and why is Brad doing this to you? Um, O2... Western Conference Finals Game 7, um, 98 Stanley Cup Finals Game 4, and then either the – I don't know. There's a lot. Oh, maybe <laughs> – I mean, most of the listeners won't like this, but 2010 gold medal game, 2010 Olympic gold medal game. Even, even, like, even as an American, you have to appreciate how amazing that game was overall. But that one, yeah. Yeah, for us – yeah. 97 Cup Final Game 4, 98 Cup Final Game 4, 2002 Cup Final Game 5. I only want the truly top of the mountain moments in my memory forever. Yeah. 
2008 was there for me, but I, I thought maybe I'd mix up a little international flair. I'll throw in the 2009 Canada Russia World Junior Game where Everly scored that goal. Oh yeah, that's and a good Pierre one. ruined a national moment. <laughs> Honor, honorable mention: Fight Night at the Joe. Oh, that's a great answer. Actually, that's really good. Uh, why is Brad doing this to us? Look at him; he doesn't age. What a piss off. He's a freak. Jeremy Dahl says, hey, guys, uh, my dad and I were talking about all the dates coming to keep an eye on with the wings, and he brought up buyouts. I mentioned they don't have uh, many terrible contracts left, but he reminded me about Nielsen. I figure there's no point in buying him out since they have so much cap space. Um, so now I'm wondering why they bought out Abdulkader and didn't play the waiting game with him as well. I know he was egregious, uh, but his contract would be up not this season coming up, but next. We surely could have eaten that cap space uh, to shorten the hit. I think that was purely a roster move. I think in terms of you, you almost have to look at it based on what you brought up. The cap space is why they could do it. They had so much cap space that they didn't have to worry about eating up a little bit for the next however many years. And he was taking up valuable roster space. They needed room for their young guys. Eisenman said, I could bring in someone to do what he does for cheaper. And that's a rookie or a veteran minimum player because Abdulkader was well below league average at that time. Um, also, can you give a shout out to my dad? Best dad I've ever had. His name is Rob. Heck, give a shout out to all your dads. Even Brad is a dad. I mean, if they're worth it. Cheers, boys. You are the best. I look forward to listening to you guys every time. Rob Dahl, thank you for uh, talking hockey with Jeremy. Brad, you got your. There you go. You got a shout out on the podcast. After two like mild insults from the previous commenters. Yeah, well. What's an what's an <laughs> overtime segment without a mild insult to Brad? Fair. Uh, what are your top three f- favorite moments in this year's playoffs? And as a fan of the game in general, how would you rank this year's playoffs in context with the last decade? Personally, I've greatly enjoyed the ride with Montreal. Started with watching them round one game four. I'm not normally a fan that watch watches much after the wings are out, but the Canadians, for some inexplicable reason, I find compelling. Man, in general, I've actually like I never not enjoy playoff hockey so I enjoy it but this is probably the most disconnected I've been from a playoff in a long time just I know like it's not a big deal in Tampa it's not the be all end all but the cap circumvention loophole does feel like an insane loophole to me the refing being such a storyline and somehow them only getting worse in the cup finals is just annoying as hell every single game there's been all the suspension talk with Kadri and um Shifley like this Montreal is the saving grace of these playoffs because every other storyline seems to be shit nobody's enjoying Tampa's run other than Tampa fans nobody's enjoying the refing everybody's team fizzled out Mon- Montreal's been the saving grace so Man, if I had to pick my top three moments, they're probably all going to be Montreal moments, truthfully. So they're not even worth listing out. I do think this has been a fun playoffs overall. Montreal is a big driver of that, but I think it has been nice to see. I think anytime you have a, a, a powerhouse like Colorado or Vegas or a team that's supposed to do well like Toronto and they get moved on from, like or they get upset, I think that's a good story. Um 
Colorado 14ers says, what top five draft picks do you believe would be the best and worst case scenarios for the Red Wings, including potential trade ramifications? Thanks, guys. So in terms of who could go in the top five, I mean, Beniers power for sure. I think if Eklund is gone in the top five, I wouldn't love that for Detroit. What about Beniers, Power, Eklund, uh, Johnson, Genther? That'd be rough for Detroit because that's a lot of forward talent gone that you would want to take a swing on. That would push them to defense, which is okay, but that would then be maybe not the ideal situation. I'm not going to overthink this. Um, I'm just going to go to my rankings and my top five being off the board would be worst case scenario. So in mine, that would be... In no particular order, I'm going to mix up the order to screw with you guys. Uh, if Beneers, Johnson, Power, Eklund, and Clark are off the board, would be my worst case. But that still leaves Genther, McTavish, yeah. you know, Hughes, Edvinson, Wallstedt, Lucius. Like, there's options. So there's I'm a not, ton of options here. I'm not devastated, however, this plays out. This is a good year to pick sixth. Because of how wide open it is. so, But that would be my worst case scenario. Best case scenario? (laughs) One of the top two fall. (laughs) Yeah. Let's assume power veneers go one, two, and nothing crazy happens. I I would be, as I just mentioned, the next two picks would be Edvinson and Hughes. Because then I don't have to think about that. And then I'll throw in Wallstead at five for pure chaos. And then everybody I want to take is still there. Uh, getting dusted by five-year-olds on skates says Ryan since you keep mentioning Jackson Hole and me just leaving a vacation from there I have to tell you of a lovely spot in between Jackson Hole and Yellowstone it's a little place called Kumrock Et oh you son of a bitch Kumrock damn it it's a beautiful area and since you may have mispronounced it it's pronounced yeah 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 you got me Here's to hope you fell for that. Here's hoping you fell for that one. Uh, real question here is for BJ. Is it strange? I'm right-handed, but feel more natural shooting left. I'm left-handed and I shoot right. I think that's that happens with a lot of hockey players. That is the most common. Uh, your dominant hand is the top hand of your stick. Uh, it's about a 60 to 70% majority on that. I'm actually the freak. I'm right-hand dominant, but I shoot right in hockey. So that actually puts me in the minority of hockey players. Uh, Jonathan Melwich says, Hey guys, if money was no object, what non-hockey sports event would you like to attend? Oh, Super Bowl. World Absolutely Cup. the Super Bowl. World Cup uh, finals. Super Bowl would be fun, but I don't know. I just feel like the fans at the Super Bowl, like the Super Bowl is not populated with the diehard fans of either team. Like you need to be too rich to go to that, right? I think the World Cup would be fun as hell. I just soccer is like my 18th favorite sport. So I just I I get the appeal of the World Cup and I I get the event of it. But, you know, of the sports I follow, at least somewhat like the World Series. Sure. But it doesn't really get to me. The NBA finals. Sure. I would enjoy it. But I mean, the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl. If your team's playing in it. God damn, that would easily be the thing I would want to do the most. But I just think the spectacle of the Super Bowl makes it worthwhile. I will yeah. take the 
what was the year Tiger Woods won the ma- uh, Masters? Masters that twenty nineteen. Yeah. If I could go go back in time, that would be the Sunday at the Masters I'd want to be at, or the ninety seven when he first showed up and just wiped everybody. Um. Okay, we're going to move on here to Eric Jeske, who says, "What the hell does work rate mean when discussing prospects? Is this just the latest nomenclature for compete, or is it actually a measurement of something?" I think it literally just means compete. It's compete. Yeah. Yeah, it's just nerds. Uh, Josh Terrell says, could you see a Mark Stahl type deal for Anton Strahlman? Stevie's familiar with him and Yandel would seem to be the better buyout candidate given his contract would be much harder to move. Yeah, I mean, any player that I don't think there's a lot of um, Eisman's going to be too particular when it comes to who's bringing on as long as he gets the right price for it. I know he mentioned when Mark Stahl came over that he wouldn't have brought him over if he didn't have a spot to play on the team. And that's just kind of what you have to put out there when you bring guys in. Like no GM or coach is going to say, yeah, we brought this guy in because we got a sweet deal just to give him room and board for a year. You know, like that's not what happens. They're not going to go and say Mark Stahl's washed. They really don't care how washed the player is. They have the cap space. They can scratch him if they want. So yeah, anyone who uh, comes with an asset could definitely see the deal. Uh, Jake Nagy says, uh, I don't usually put stock in any rumor accounts, but NHL Rumors Daily usually has some legit inside scoop and commented this week that Buffalo really likes Eklund and wants to either acquire another first to get him or might just pick him up first overall. Do you think that's a possibility? And if it comes to fruition, would you say it's a good choice by Buffalo? I mean, I'm high on Eklund. He's absolutely in contention for first overall if I'm the GM. So I have no qualms with that. With the fact that the Sabres, I think as of this moment, have yet to interview Owen Power might be a little telling. Um, Yeah, I'm not going to say it's likely, but I I don't think it's crazy. Um. Okay, English Major says, Sup guys, Forrest Gump or Back to the Future 1? I've been asking a ton of people and it's about 50-50. Thanks and keep up the good work. Forrest Gump. Yeah, I like Forrest Gump here. I'm a big Forrest Gump guy. I cry like a baby every single time I watch that movie. I've seen it like six times. I love it. Every single time. Just just hits you right in the feels. I, uh, I've worked with a few people named Jenny and I can never get past... Like, I can't not say the line or like some version of the line. I mean, usually, I just end up calling them Jen A. It's bad. My sister's name is Jenny. Do you say that to her? All the time. <laughs> uh, at war with Crying Hannah says, Good day, dud duds, but not a good day to Crying Hannah, who in an unprovoked act attacked me publicly last episode. The slander won't stand and is a classic case of small man syndrome, which you have obviously caught from BJ. Wait, this isn't about BJ. Stay focused. Anyways, we're at war until further notice. Please give us a game six hockey a la. I don't want to see the no Eisman team uh, win on home ice and a loss in Montreal means insta riot from uh, Habs fans, less Frenchies fans. Honestly, this is the best outcome and we all know it. The 2017-18 Vegas run uh, that they've been on has uh, had its time. It's about to come to an end one way or another. Alrighty, argue about prospects time. Simon Edvidson. Uh, Ryan, why should we focus on the boom potential here? Brad, why is the bust potential too large? Actually argue with one another. No monologues. Interject. Evan, huh? What? Pay attention and pick a winner. 
the boom potential is that, you know, we were talking about it earlier. Edvinson has a lot of risk to to picking him as well, sure. But if you pick him and he pans out, this is a top line left-handed defenseman who can play, skate super well, uh, deliver offensively and plays with Mo Sider. It's probably best player available if he pans out and he fills a direct position at need, which is a GM's wet dream. So that's the boom potential right there to justify it. Doesn't matter if he can't think the game. Do you think that he can't overcome that though? Doesn't matter if he can't think the game. Do you think it's a certainty that he can't think the game or is it just, is it a gray area for you or is it a certainty that he can't think the game? It's a gray area for me, which is why he's still in my rankings. But if he can't think the game, which is the big question mark about him, he is a non-impactful NHLer. So not saying he's never going to make the NHL, but you don't pick a bottom pair defenseman in the top 10. And his biggest question mark is the most important trait in a hockey player. Well, as a defenseman, I don't know necessarily that it'll drag him down that much. You know, like I don't, I, I kind of push back on the notion of he's automatically bottom pair unless he's top pair. You know, I think there's a, there's a room in there for him to, it'll take some time for a player like him to develop, but with defensemen understanding and thinking the game and anticipating the game that comes, that does come with time. Certain amount of it is hockey IQ. Sure. But we always say defensemen need more time. And I think the hockey IQ or the, at least the, the part that's demonstrated on the ice, I do think that comes after a while generally. This is a skill that can't be taught. You have it or you don't. I don't know that you can boil it down to just one skill, though. Like, understanding the way the game is played, especially that the league that you're in, like, that does come with maturity with defensemen. Do you want me to get into his pace issues as well? Because he plays the game slow for someone who can really skate. So all the benefits of how fast he is get kind of outweighed by the fact he doesn't play fast. But if he can... I think the reason... And I I have a big fear that the reason... He doesn't play fast. It's because he can't, because his brain doesn't keep up and he has to second guess every decision. I hope I'm wrong, but. But he can. Anyways, he can play fast. So, yeah, sure. You might be right about he, that. He he can, but he hasn't. <laughs> okay. Uh, that's about as much uh, argument as I can give that, because where I actually fall is somewhere probably in the middle. So same. okay um jersey time remember when i got ryan a 2009 winter classic jersey and he turned on me only a couple of short years later what's been the worst winter classic jersey stay fresh cheese bags not you crying go stale you don't deserve any stay fresh cheese bags of fournier company are we talking all teams or just red wings all teams oh god there's so many candidates Blackhawks. You go first. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to think. I really, really I really didn't like um Nashville's their yellow bar with the cursive where the P touched the bottom of the blue bar. They weren't even the biggest atrocity in that game. The STDers? I like that jersey. I like the STDs. Because it says STDs on it. <laughs> no, it doesn't act like Oh, that's not how it reads to me. No, I have it. I have it. The San Jose LA outdoor game, both of them. Okay, those aren't a winter classic and in a Oh, those a, we're not No. Okay. No. We're just doing straight up winter classics. Straight up I winter can't classic. separate which outdoor game is which anymore. There's too many of them. Yeah. Yeah. 
I really didn't like Nashville's. I I honestly, my hot take to you, Brad, is that the Dallas should go full STD or scheme. Cream, gloves, and pants. The the green, the non-slanted logo. I love that one. He was right to turn on you. <laughs> Mark Burnham says, I know Brad doesn't want to hear it, but the best way to get a playoff cap rules change is a Kucherov cup-winning hat trick. Along those lines, can, camp- can Tampa fans really boo Bettman if they win game five? They can and they should. And if they don't, then they're wrong. It is a tradition. It doesn't matter what you think of Gary Bettman. You have to boo him. It is sick that people would actually consider not booing him. If you if you think it's mean to you, I say for shame. Mother Teresa, Gandhi, everyone else would boo Batman because they know it's the right thing to do. It is the good and proper thing to do. I would have dinner with Batman. I'd have drinks with him. I'd shake his hand. I'd want to hear all about his experiences. I I would respect him. I would I I would probably like him as a person, and then I would immediately go to the stands. And if he awarded the cup, I would proceed to boo him because that is what you do. Uh, anyways, Zoe Holmstrom says hi, friends. Appreciate all you do to entertain us. Uh, fantastic last name, Zoe. I've always wanted to say that. Question for Brad: What made you decide to be a Bills fan? As a former resident of Buffalo, I've always been curious about those who become fans of the team who don't live in the city slash surrounding area. Was it the smashing of card tables or luring aroma of chicken wings? So I grew up in the area of the in the era of the Four Falls of Buffalo. So before Bills Mafia became really a thing, um, thankfully I was young enough that I didn't understand the tragedy that was unfolding beforehand. Honestly, I don't remember why I started cheering for any of the teams I do. I, I live, we live right in the middle of Southern Ontario here. So Detroit's three hours from me. Toronto's an hour from me. Buffalo's an hour and a half from me. And I ended up cheering for the Red Wings, Bills and Blue Jays. So I've, I've got a gut feeling it was just proximity. Um, but yeah, I was, I was a little one when, when I developed my fandoms for all my sport teams. So. It doesn't make sense, and I wish I had a better explanation than that. Uh, Liz B says, has Tatar been abducted by aliens? You'd think, right? You'd think for a team that keeps having to win games by one goal or two goals at best. I know his performances weren't always the best, but you got to mix things up at some point. Hey, it's not like their second leading goal scorer in the playoffs is also in the press box tonight or anything like that. They're probably going to be buyers. <laughs> Logan Couture's broken ankles uh, mentioned that Tarasenko just requested a trade. Maybe the Wings could take some cap hit in a bigger trade in exchange for picks. That's a consideration. That's something that we didn't bring up earlier. So that's a really good point. Uh, hadn't thought about that. Um, yeah, I actually like that idea because, you know, if you like Tarasenko and your team wanting to make a push, but you're a little concerned about the shoulder thing for that money. Detroit comes in, takes some picks. Yeah, why not? Facilitate it the same way they did um, Savard with Tampa Bay and Columbus. All right. We're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We'll be back with you. We're going to be releasing Sunday's episode uh, early afternoon or late morning or early afternoon. It is cottage season, so um, we have to take vacations at some point lest we all spontaneously combust. This is mandated by... um, podcast CEO, Evan. 
So without further ado, uh, we're going to wrap up by saying thank you to all of our listeners, our patrons, our name level sponsors, Arjun Shanker. Um, thank you for continually sending me cute puppy pics of Abby, who has the same name of uh, my puppy, Abby. Uh, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, King Tone, Terry Driver of Crying Ryan, Hannah Banana Slamma Jamathong, Taylor Tagel, Brandon M, Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Greech, Hannah Lee, Hassam Al Qasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Joe Santangelo, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stacy Lynn, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, BJ Crisco, Colorado 14ers, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, As Good As It Gets, Stan Olson, The 20 Centimeters of Justice, Trevor Pepevar, Vaxed Waxed at the 69th Annual Sock On. Thank you all so much. Take care. We'll see you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.